looking at me and thinking, what does a 78-year-old have to offer your age group? And uh, I prayed about that quite a bit. And what I can tell you is, what I can offer you is 50 years of enthusiasm about serving the Lord. I have been saved for 50 years, and I'll, I'll back up in a few minutes and, and tell you how that happened, but I can tell you that uh, I have enthusiastically served the Lord for 50 years. I pray every day that I will finish will, well, that I will not finish as an old grumpy man, and I know a lot of my friends are old grumpy men, and, uh, and I don't like being this... Uh, far from you, so I'm going to come down here, and uh, how many of you saw the movie Jesus Revolution? Okay, well, I am a product of that revolution. I got saved during that revolution, and so I may have seen some things in my lifetime that you haven't seen or experienced, but it is available for you as well as as it happened to me. So let's back up. Now, I'm not going to give a lot of scriptures tonight. I'm simply going to tell you about my life. And uh, if there's a lot of eyes in there, I apologize for that. But uh, everything I talk about tonight is because of the Holy Spirit in me. It's not because of what I did but it's because the Holy Spirit worked within me. And so please uh, put the basketball down, and uh, we'll continue on. Uh, you got to realize I was a a biology teacher for 25 years, and uh, I don't tolerate a lot of crap, (laughs) okay? And it's okay, but it it disturbs me when you're spinning a ball because it doesn't seem like you're paying attention. So anyway, uh, I was born and raised in Deer Lodge, and... uh, When I was growing up, my father never went to church. My mother went every Sunday. She would drop us off for Sunday school. She never went to Sunday school. And then she would come to church. And my experience with church was not extremely positive. One time in Sunday school, I I dropped a Bible accidentally, and it was accidentally, and the Sunday school teacher reached over and slapped me across the side of the face and said, you don't treat the Word of God that way. And that stayed with me, and it made me kind of fearful of dealing with God. And then the church was not a very exciting place. I would say it was more boring than anything else. But when they served communion, these elders would get up, and they had a little piece of paper that they read a prayer off, and they would be up there and very self-righteously would read that prayer. And I remember as an eighth grader thinking, my gosh, if they really knew God, couldn't they do something from their heart instead of off a piece of paper? So by the time I got into high school, I said to my dad, you know, you don't go to church. Why do I have to go? And he said, "I, I suppose you don't have to. So I quit. One other experience I had when I was young was in that particular church. You were expected to go through these classes and then get baptized as an eighth grader. And I did that. 
And what I got out of that was wet. And that was it. I did not know Christ. Uh, I did kind of think there was a God out there someplace, but I did not know that, that it was a personal situation. So when I got out of high school, I went to the University of Montana. I, I have a bachelor's degree and master's degree in uh, science and field ecology. I was heavily steeped in evolutionary theory. And uh, I could debate that with the best of people. My, my uh, major is in envi environmental sciences, but my minor is in speech and debate. And I can hold my own with almost anyone. Well, I started teaching, and, and, and uh, by then I was married, and the first child came along, and I was having great success in teaching. I, I was fairly innovative, and uh, in my third year of teaching, I was named Biology Teacher of the Year for the state of Montana. And you would think that that would make you really satisfied, but it didn't. And then, being a man... Uh, I wanted a four-wheel drive truck, and I finally got one of those, and I thought maybe that would satisfy me, and it didn't. And then I wanted this 300 Magnum rifle. This is only a Montana story. And uh, I got that, and I still felt miserable. And one time I was up in the hills hunting, and uh, I kind of had an experience with God because I was sitting under this tree, and I was just kind of looking out on the hillside. And I don't know whether it was a voice or a vision or just an image in my head. I know now what it was. But the Lord gave me a vision of hell and the torment that people go through in hell. And it's a horrible place. Horrible, horrible place. And it kind of scared me. But it placed in me a seed that maybe I should start thinking about spiritual things again. And so my wife and I went to church a little bit. I wasn't very satisfied with the experience I was having. But I was seeking in a small way. And about the seventh year of teaching, uh, and I taught sophomores mostly. Any sophomores here? Not a one. <laughs> anyway, how many of you are high school students? A few of you, okay. Um, after school, this high school sophomore came up to me and he said, uh, Mr. Swant, you are a great teacher. I have learned a great deal from you. But you have a major, major problem. I says, what's that, John? He says, you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Now, this kid's 15 years old. I've been teaching for seven years, and I'm 30. And I could have had the attitude, well, look, snot-nosed kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes, sir. Huh? No, no. This is in Deer Lodge. And um, I said, well, John, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. And this is the wrong place to discuss that. But if you want to come to my home, I'll, I'll, I'll debate this with you and talk about it with you. And so John came out to my home, 
and uh, we began to talk about the Lord. And I, for a couple of weeks, I really didn't uh, get a lot out of it. But this kid was so persistent. And he's only 15 years old. And, and, and I got to say, I have a minor in speech and debate. And every week I was able to out-debate him about, I don't think there's a personal God. And he would go home and he would study all week and he would come back the next week. And I thought, you know, at some point this kid's going to give up. And he never did. He came for six months every Tuesday night to talk to me about the Lord. And what I want to emphasize to you, even though maybe many of you are junior high students, revival often comes through youth, not through adults. And the reason for that, if I can give you a picture, life is a long hallway. And as you walk down that hallway, you're slamming doors shut of things you don't like. And pretty soon your vision is so small that you can't be reached. But you guys are open. You're, you're trying to figure out who I am, what I want to be, and, and, and you're very open to things of the Lord. And so this kid just kept talking and talking and talking. And, and at that time, we had a small farm in the country, and uh, we had a bulk gas tank that was buried underground, and between, it was between two doors in our garage, and it was an electric pump on it, and I kept it locked so somebody wouldn't siphon gas out of that. And, and over time, that lock would, had a really hard time opening. And I went out there one night, we put gas in my pickup, and, and it was a combination lock, and I ran those four digits, and it wouldn't open. I ran those four digits, and I slammed it, and I couldn't get the thing open. And I had a moment there where I just felt the Spirit of God come on me. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I said, Lord, if you're out there, like this high school kid says you're out there, uh, why don't you open the lock? Because this kid says, you're personal, you heal, uh, you're in the lives of people. Why don't you just go unlock the lock? Because I can't. And then I tried to protect my ego by saying, and if you're not willing to unlock the lock, I'll go get a hacksaw and cut it open. And it doesn't make any difference to me which way we go. And the lock goes kaboom and falls open. And I went, holy cow, there's something to this. And I went in the house and I, I said to my wife, Laura, here's what happened. And she says, yeah, are you really making that up? And I said, no, it really did happen. And I got down on my knees and I asked Christ to forgive me for my stubbornness. I asked him to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and be Lord of my life. And I was 27 years old at the time. And so I can actually say the Lord literally unlocked my heart, only it was a padlock. And my daughter, who was six at the time, said to my wife after about a month of this experience, 
She said, why has daddy, why has daddy stopped acting like a bear? Because my life radically changed. Uh, I used to drink some, not, not a lot, but I swore a lot. Uh, I had uh, lustful thoughts. And all of that stuff just vanished. Well, anyway, that night I called John and I explained to him what happened. And I said, John, this is what happened. And uh, I accepted the Lord as my Savior. And I says, so, and I was green. I mean, I didn't know the Word of God at all. And I said, so what do we do now? And he says, well, let's start a Bible study at the high school. And so there's clubs in high schools, and John went to the administration and said, we want to start a Bible club in the biology room, which is kind of an oxymoron. And uh, the administration reluctantly said yes, and uh, we called the Bible study Shekinah. Does anybody know what Shekinah means? Glory, glory of God. And when I was teaching, uh, the office never trusted the teachers to read the announcements because we'd forget. So they read the announcements over the, over the loudspeaker throughout the whole building. And uh, when it was time for the Shekinah to meet, the vice principal would say, and in the biology room at noon, they're meeting in uh, the, the, the Shekinah. I don't know how you pronounce it. Club is meeting, you know. And uh, uh, we just grew and grew. And then those kids wanted this. They, they, they said, this isn't enough. We want more. And I said, well, I've got a basement that's empty. Let's meet there. So we started meeting in, the ba- in, the, in my basement. And at first, 10 kids came. Uh, I didn't think we'd have a lot of kids. I knew they'd come at school, but I didn't think they would... Uh, come to my home, and first 10 kids came, and then 20 kids came, then 30 kids came, and 40 kids came, and 50 kids came, and we, we were wall-to-wall kids in the basement of my house, and these kids were just dead serious about Christ. Well, then the administration called me in and said, uh, you're making us nervous. Are you going to get us in trouble? And I said, no, we're not going to get you in trouble. These kids just love the Lord, and and we're meeting, and, and I'm not saying anything at, at school, but uh, if you, uh, you know, if, if, if you say a teacher can't talk to kids about Christ in his own home, we're going to have trouble. And they said, well, don't carry it over into the school. We're, we're already nervous about that Shekinah thing that's going on. And so those kids were just radically, and you got to remember, these are the 70s when all this Jesus movement was taking place. And, and, and these kids just soaked up the word. I soaked up the word. And, and we saw miracles happening every week. Um, let's see if I can think of a couple of those. Uh, we had a good kid on a guitar that could play pretty decent music. And uh, one of the kids says, well, we need a piano. And I says, yeah, that'd be great. I don't have any money for a piano. And a week later, this guy came and visited us, and he said, uh, where do you meet with all these high school kids? And I says, well, in my basement, I'll show you. And we went down there, and 
He looked around and he says, where's the piano? And I said, we haven't got one. He says, I'll have one here by next week. And that kind of stuff just happened time after time. And when we gathered at the end of, uh, and we only studied the word. That's all we did. We didn't play games. Uh, We didn't act like teenagers. We studied the word. And when we came to prayer time, the first thing we'd say is, anybody got somebody they want to be here next week and get saved? And we'd pray for that person, and the next week they'd show up. It was just phenomenal, the kinds of things that that was happening. Uh, I have a fireplace in my home, and there was a mantle kind of like this, and we were all holding hands and praying one evening, and uh, as we're praying, this girl just goes, falls over backwards. And I'd never saw that. Later on, I searched the scriptures, and I found that that's called slaying in the spirit. Maybe some of you have heard of it and some of you hadn't. It was new to me. But when she went down, she cracked her head on the edge of the rock mantle. And I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, if this isn't true, this girl's going to really hurt. So she laid there for about 30 minutes, and I really didn't know what to do with her. And uh, finally she got up, and I says, how's your head? Because I heard a crack. And she says, what are you talking about? Well, during this 30 minutes, she just laid there and her hands were raised and she just worshiped God. And I says, well, when you went down, your head hit the mantle. I said, she said, really? Never noticed. And we just begin to see all of those kinds of things happening. And these kids would just sweep through Powell County High School with the gospel. And uh, there's a number of pastors who came out of that uh, movement in my home. And uh, one time, a bunch of them were going to Missoula to a concert. And like typical teenagers who uh, don't think very well, um, they got about to Drummond, and they ran out of gas. And this girl says, Lord, I know you want us to go to this concert. And there's no gas station, and we got no gas. But there is a creek. And I'm going to go down there with a bucket, and I'm going to fill the gas tank with water. And I'm asking you to fill it with gas so we can continue on. So she filled the tank with with water and started the engine and went on. Miracle. Yeah, miracle. And that's just the kind of thing that was happening all the time uh, in those early days of that movement. And what... I noticed in that movement, now not every kid who came continued to come. I mean, some guys came because there was a good-looking girl that they might be able to get a date with or something. But what I noticed about those kids is that the ones that got into the Word got on fire. The ones that didn't get into the Word drifted. And uh, I want to give you that advice, get into the Word. If you're going to get excited about Jesus and stay excited about Jesus, you have got to be in the Word. How many, how many of you read the Word daily? Okay. Not, not very many of you. Mostly adults. 
Reading the Bible takes about five minutes per chapter, and then you can kind of meditate on it. Did you know that if you read three chapters a day, you can read the Bible? And, and, yeah, and I, I, I can be with groups of adults, and I'll say, how many of you read the Bible from beginning to end? About 15%. And yet they come to church every week. They come up for prayer, and their, their lives are just not going well. Well, get into the Word. And so I want to put a challenge in front of you. Uh, have you got 15 to 20 minutes a day that you could get into the Word? Have you got 15 to 20 minutes a day that you'll spend on Facebook? Or on your phone? Yeah. So, what's your priority? Now, there must be some priority to know the Lord here tonight, or you wouldn't be here. But you've got to sit down and take a serious look at your life and say, do I want to know the Lord in a better way or not? And if you do, put the electronics down and read the Word. It only takes 15 minutes a day to get through the Word an entire year. Now, I would advise you not to get King James because we don't speak King James. My soul has not been vexed in a long time. You speak for thyself, right. A good one is NIV. It's a new international version. Uh, it's easy to read. Uh, it's kind of street language. It's not a paraphrase. It's a translation. And the other thing I'll tell you, take the word for what it says. Take it literally. Somebody might say, oh, that's an allegory or something. And, and people really struggle. Now, I read it, chrono- not chronologically, I read it verse per verse as the Bible's written. And a lot of people stumble over Genesis. You don't have to stumble over Genesis if you take it literally. It's really easy. Now, there's where my education came in. I'm a trained field ecologist, and I have a lot of knowledge about ecology and evolution. And I would go to the field, and the theories that I had learned in college, I was not observing in the field. But as I read the word literally, I could see how it all came together. Now, not everything is explained in Genesis because it's not a book to explain everything. It's a book to lead us to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's enough in there for you to be able to say, Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the creator of the universe. But you people who are in public schools are going to hear a different message. You are going to hear an evolutionary message. And so after, and that's what I taught. But after I got saved, I got really uncomfortable about teaching evolution. But I had an obligation as a public school teacher to somewhat follow the text. So what I did is I... uh, taught evolution 
and creation. And some of the teachers said, oh, you can't teach creation in the classroom. Oh, you can't carry your Bible to, you know. That Bible should not be on your desk. You're a public educator. Well, it went all the way to the state, and the state education department wrote me a letter and said, uh, we know you're an outstanding biology teacher, but we hear that you're teaching evolution and creation, and you must stop teaching creation. And I wrote him a letter back and said, well, I'm not going to do that. But uh, I thought that education was giving young people all the options and then letting them make up their own mind. What I did is I, I used the scriptures and I used the evolutionary theory, and I never asked a student, which one do you believe? What I did was ask them to explain both. And uh, that's as far as you can go as a public educator. So I wrote him back and I said, well, I thought education was presenting kids with both points of view and then letting the student make up his own mind. And they wrote back and said, well, that's true, except in this case. We can only teach evolution in the public school. You see, there's a battle going on for your soul because you are the future of the church. I'm not. On the outside, I've got 10 or 12 years left. On the outside, I've got 10 or 12 years left. Thank you. That would make me 78, 88, 98. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I hope so. I hope so, and I hope at age 98 you invite me back to still talk, because that's my vision. I want to be enthusiastic until the end. Yeah, you can roll me up. Um, So uh, our school was a school where you had to belong to the teachers' union to um, be employed. And I just took a stand and said, well, if that's your feeling that we can't be real educators, but we have to be propagandists, then I quit the union. And then the local teachers in my school came to me and said, Swan, just pay the dues. Because if you don't pay the dues, we're going to ask the school board to fire you. And I said, well, you do what you have to do, because I've done what I have to do. So they went to the public, the school board there in Deer Lodge and said, Swant won't pay his dues, so you have to fire him. And the board was really reluctant to do that. In fact, they called in the board of labor to hold an election uh, to see what the teachers really wanted. And after the election, the union was voted out. Yeah, and and what I learned from that was there were a lot of closet Christian teachers. Do not be a closet Christian. Speak up. You know, I just bought a new Tacoma pickup today, and uh, I love Tacomas. If you want to talk trucks, I'll give you a testimony about Tacomas all day long. But I'll do the same thing about Jesus Christ because I know what he did for my life. And so that's the way you should be. 
at a drop of a hat, you should be able to tell your testimony. Now, maybe your testimony won't be as dramatic as mine, but we all have a testimony because you are not born Christian. You are born a sinner, okay? And the Word says you are either of Christ or you are of Satan. So which one are you? Do you do the work of Satan? Or do you do the work of Christ? You have to make that up. You have to make that decision. Uh, Revelations had a huge influence on me as I was searching for uh, a walk with the Lord. And here's what it says. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That verse bothered me. And I had to realize, I had to start killing snakes for Jesus or I had to get out of faith. And I challenge you to do that. You have the keys to success people. I I live a very contented life. I happen to have uh, prostate cancer. I'm not particularly bothered by it because I know that medicine treats, but God heals. And I've asked God to heal me. And I believe he has. I just had a PSA test. That's how you tell if you have cancer. And uh, before I started being treated, my number was 94 you're in serious trouble if your number gets above four. And they started treating me, and today my number was 0.13. Okay? So, uh, medicine helps, but God heals. Why is God the healer? Because he designed us. If you start teaching, and maybe some of you had this experience, if you start uh, teaching the DNA molecule, the deoxyribonucleic acid molecule, it's unbelievably difficult. There's all these adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosines that have to pair up, and uh, if they don't pair up right, you get a mutation. If they pair up right, you, you get us. And it's so complicated. And then these evolutionists will say, and you know, it all came together by accident. They got more faith than I got. Because statistically, it can't happen. Because if I say to you, did this watch just kind of fall together or did somebody make it? Somebody made it, and this watch is not complicated compared to your body. Now, why are they that way? Because 99.9% of evolutionists don't know Christ. And so they've got to defend their position. So my personal revival came about because a 15-year-old boy came to my home week after week, got beat up verbally, and wouldn't give up. I did. You keep it up, I'm going to do it to you. 
<laughs> so anyway, I, I want to tell you one other thing. So taking the word literally, uh, it talks about, uh, in the Bible, about speaking in tongues. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but if it's in the word, I want it. And if you've been to church a few times, you've seen where I give an utterance occasionally. And if you give an utterance in church, then it must be interpreted, and sometimes I interpret that, but at other times somebody else interprets that. So, you know, I, I had that killing snake Christianity attitude, and so I just really sought this. And uh, one night in a meeting, I said, Lord, I'm tired of trying to seek this. And I don't want it for tongues. I want it because your word says it's power for witnessing. And I want to witness. So I was holding my hands up in the air, and I was saying, God, I love you. And Lord, you're the Alpha and the Omega, and all these things. And the Lord finally said to me, what are you doing? I says, well, I'm trying to speak in tongues. And then he says, well, shut up. Quit talking, quit using your intellect, and just let the Spirit work through you. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And he said, or, you know, in this gender world, I'm going to say he. But he said, well, just blow some air past your vocal cords, and I will direct a language out of you. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to do that. And he said, that's the point. You can never grow in your faith when you're this side of understanding. If this is a line right here, and I only operate over here on this side of understanding, my faith's not going to grow. But if I stop, step across that into the unknown, my faith begins to grow. And so, so I said, okay, Lord. And so I attempted to blow air across my vocal cords without speaking. You ever try that? blow air across my vocal cords and not speak. Well, I did that, and all of a sudden, this beautiful language came out of me. Then my problem was, if I quit, will I ever get started again? Well, the, 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 the short and the long of that is that I begin to find that with that prayer language, the power that I had to witness for people quadrupled. And that's available for every one of you young people here tonight. And I would encourage you uh, in your youth group or maybe in a church service. Now, not every church understands this thing because they operate in the knowledge, not the faith. But uh, take the Bible literally, and you'll find it holds up. Okay? So now that I'm retired from teaching, uh, how do I enthusiastically serve the Lord? Well, I come to this church and I try to interact with young people and tell them how pleased I am that they're, they're coming to church. Uh, I started a men's Bible study in Deer Lodge for guys that are retired. We started with two guys. Today we met today, and today we had 18 in the room and three on Zoom. And they're from seven different churches. And it's not me doing any of this. It's me being open 
to the Spirit of God working through me. You guys are vessels, okay? And the Spirit can work through you. And then I'll end with this. Because you are a vessel of God, you are holy, okay? And there's going to be great pressure on you as you get older to cross over that line and have sexual intercourse. But if you cross over that line and have sexual intercourse, particularly with someone who is not saved, you are uniting Satan with holiness, and it's going to bite you in the butt. Okay? It's literally going to bite you in the butt. And you really need to be careful about that. Uh, you uh, You can, the Lord will give you the strength to abstain from those kinds of things. There's a great love book in the Bible. Do any of you young people, I know the adults know, but any, do any of you young people uh, know which book in the Bible is the love book? See, if you'd read the Bible, you'd know this, so start reading it. We got somebody? Song of Solomon. So repeating and repeating and repeating in Song of Solomon's is this, do not stir up love until it's time. What does that mean? Don't get involved in high school with somebody seriously because what can you do with it? Nothing besides be stressed out. Yeah, there is a good feeling in it. My, uh, my kids, uh, when I was raising them, and you would not want to be my child, um, <laughs> I said, three dates, that's it. Because I don't want you to fall in love in high school because if you stir up love before it's time, you're in trouble. So um, they would go out with somebody, and after the third date, they'd say, now you know, this is over. What do you mean? what What do you mean it's over? I thought we were having a good time. We were having a good time. But my dad won't let me go with anybody more than three dates. So when my youngest daughter was a senior, she really had strong feelings for this guy. And she came home and she was crying. And I said, what's your problem? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she said, well, we had our third date tonight. And I really liked this guy. And I said, great, that's why I instituted three dates. That's enough. And she tried to uh, uh, explain to him what my philosophy was, but she didn't do a good job because she didn't like it. But she did like this young man, and he accepted that. And then fast forward four years, she's a senior in college, and he calls her and says, is it, is it time that we can get in more than three dates? <laughs> and she said, yeah. And they started dating and then they got married, and now they're pastors in an Assembly of God church in Billings. Okay? But if, if that daughter of mine had got derailed in high school, who knows what would happen? So that's just a little word of advice. And you don't need your parents to do that. You can set those goals for yourself. I love Jesus more than I love anything else. And yeah, it's fun to date, but I'm not getting serious till it's time because the word says, do not stir up love until it's time. 
But you're never going to know that unless you start reading the Word. So if you want to be a lukewarm Christian, don't read the Word. Don't pray. But if you want to matter for the kingdom of God, read the Word. Pray. Okay? Are you going to be lukewarm? Are you going to be hot? Maybe some of you even be cold. Yeah. But if you'd had the vision I had of hell, you wouldn't want to be cold. So that group that meets in Deer Lodge, like I say, we had about 20 guys today. They're from seven different churches. And it's a real challenge for guys from seven different churches to meet because we're all opinionated. But you know what we found? Across Bible-believing churches, the fundamentals are all the same. You might dunk them and we might sprinkle them, but that doesn't make any difference. But the Word says dunk them, so I'm right and they're wrong. (laughs) So anyway, I just want to encourage you, revival starts with your age group. The revival that started in my heart started with a 15-year-old boy who came to my home and said, I like you enough that I don't want to see you go to hell. And that's 50 years ago, and I'm still serving Christ. (laughs) And he and I, he and I got so close that when he got married at 22, this 50-year-old guy was the best man. (laughs) And I'm sure people thought, what's that old guy doing up there? (laughs) But friendships in Christ have nothing to do with age because he and I were family. So if you're willing to stand on the word, not be concerned about what your friends are thinking, because I'll tell you what, the friends you're willing to die for now, you won't even remember their names five years from now. That's what happens. You go on to a new set of people. So don't make poor choices, okay? Get your choices aligned with the Word. So let me pray for you. Lord, these young people are the future. We've invested in them. Caitlin and Isaac and others in this room are investing in these young people because they know as well as I do that they are the future of the church. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord, that you would get them into the Word. I pray, Lord, that they would have such a burden for prayer that they wouldn't miss a single day of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the enemy because, Lord, there is a great battle going on today for the souls of young people. And we thank you, Lord, for this group of young people. Strengthen them, bless them, and be with them. In your precious name, amen.